verses 22 through 25. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. The Word of God says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Now last week we looked at the fact that uh, Christ's precious blood was the means by which we were redeemed. This blood of Jesus Christ was not described as corruptible but as incorruptible and as eternal and as permanent so that we are, if we've trusted in Jesus, we have been saved permanently through the costliest thing in creation, the blood of Jesus. You can't put gold and silver and precious stones next to it in comparison to it because those things themselves are perishable. Even though they last for thousands of years, they are still not up to the job of saving us eternally. And because they're created things, because they're nothing to the God who made them in the first place, then they cannot redeem us. God's not in, he doesn't, can't be paid off by money, by mammon, by precious things no what he needs to what he needs in payment for our sins is the blood of a man a sinless man a representative man somebody who can represent us before the throne of God before his judgment and take that judgment for us And the punishment is taken by Jesus Christ and the price is his blood. And that blood is, as I've said, eternal. Now from the eternal word of God that guarantees our salvation (coughs) and our glory, Peter now turns to something else that is enduring, something else that is eternal. And that is the word of God. Since you have purified your souls by obeying the truth, you see, the truth, which is the word, is not just a bunch of uh, words and letters on a page. If it's in the Bible, then it's what God said. 
If it's in the Bible, it's what God says to us now. And that makes it different from every other word and every other book that's ever been written. Just as you cannot put anything next to in value the blood of Jesus Christ, you cannot put anything else in value next to God's book, the Bible. The Bible alone has transforming power. The power to transform the soul, the mind, the heart into that which it should be, that which it was created and meant to be. We can change our thoughts by meditation on the Word of God. Our outlook, our values, our morals, our loves, our priorities, all of these things and more can be transformed by meditation on not the words of man, but the words of God. Now, there are books out there that have certainly had power on people and still exert influence on people. The writings of Marx, the writings of uh, some of the sages of old, political speeches of Mao and the political uh, rantings of Hitler. All of these have had power. And there are plenty of holy books that have power over people. There are even self-help programs that have power over people, dominate people. The words of psychiatrists and psychologists. Sometimes the words of just media personalities who don't know what they're talking about have power over people. The opinions of well-known people not studied opinions, just their, their opinions. They're tweeted out and they have power over people. But they don't have power to transform the soul. They don't have power to bring a soul, a mind, a heart into line with God's thoughts because they're not from God. In fact, being of the world, they're aligned against God even while sometimes they contain what we might call common sense, even though sometimes they may contain some little pearls of wisdom. They're there to hooks to drag us away from the truth. But only the word of God can purify our souls. And it can only purify our souls, note, our souls notice, verse 22, if we obey it. We've got to have a mind that when we hear the word of God, we hear it as the word of God, not as the word of man. Because if we hear it as the word of man, if we hear this New Testament as a holy book written 2,000 years ago by uh, error-laden, error-strewn humans, it will have no effect upon us. We've already diminished its authority. We've already diminished its power. 
But if we hear it as the eternal words of our Creator, who will call us to book as to how we've treated it, if we obey it, then the Spirit has power to work through it. This is a very interesting uh, sentence here in verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Everything is bound together here. The work of the Word, the work of ourselves in the way that we respond to the Word, the work of the Spirit in relation to the way we've responded to the Word, and the work that we are to do to love one another by obeying the Word. You see, the Spirit of God is not going to foist His Word upon us. Yes, He can convict us, and He does convict us through the Word. He convicts sinners through the Word. But He's not going to do something that is contrary to his original um, intention in creating us in the first place, as being relating, relatable beings, responsible beings, those who can hear and respond to the words that God speaks to us and be responsible and accountable for the way we've responded. So the Spirit of God here is depicted not one not as one who imposes his will against our wills, but one who works supernaturally when we obey him. The Holy Spirit has his part and will be faithful to do his part, but we have our part, our responsibility. To obey the truth. That is when the word of God has its transforming power upon us. And it does have transforming power. Are you reading the Bible? Are you reading the Bible uh, constantly? You ought to be. You need to have a habit of reading the Bible. And when you read it, read in a in a context of dependence upon it, of listening to it, of paying attention to it. Even if you're reading a verse, and that's all that you do, pay attention to what you're reading. If you may be completely familiar with it, and you can quote it from heart, drive those preconceptions out and listen again. Pay attention to what God is saying. And then, you see, the Holy Spirit will use that word in your lives. You say, well, how will I know that? How will I feel that? Well, you might not feel it at all. Peter's not talking about an experience here. He's not talking about feelings here. We don't base our obedience. We don't base... uh, our faith on feelings and experiences? Where's faith in that? 
I'll believe if I have this experience. I'll believe if I see this happen. I'll believe if, you know, I feel this. Well, that's not faith. You don't need faith for that because you've had an experience. But God requires faith. Do we have faith that if we obey the word of God, it will do its transforming work in our souls? This is what Peter is challenging us with this morning. Because he is saying that the word of God has this transforming power. Now, we are to obey it. And as we obey it, the Spirit works. And then something works through that, which he calls sincere, or actually the word he used is unhypocritical. <laughs> That's the word that Peter uses. Unhypocritical love of the brethren. Why are we to love each other. Why are we to love other Christians? Certainly, we don't agree all the time with each other. Certainly, we have different personalities, and some of those personalities great one with another, yes. We have different abilities. We have different backgrounds. We have different issues that we may be facing, different histories that people don't know about which affect us. All of these things. What is the reason, though, that we are to love one another with this diversity that there is? Well, it's because we're all related. It's because we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's why. We're in the family of God. God is our Father. God is looking upon us. Verse 17, if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. We have one Father. We have one Savior. And that Savior, that Father is loving is caring, is compassionate, is patient. Some of the things that we find difficult without the Holy Spirit's influence in our lives, without being reminded by the Word of God of how we're to be. If you're anything like me, you need to come back again and again to be told what you already know. And you need to come back to a place that tells you authoritatively what you already know. Because you won't listen if you don't respect. And so you come to the Word of God and it tells you to be holy. It tells you to be considerate. It tells you to put other people before yourself. It tells you to put God first. It tells you to not worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink. Not to worry about tomorrow, but to trust in God. That's transforming. When you really obey that, 
that's transforming. Our love for one another, if it's based on the word of God and if it's wrought by the Holy Spirit, will be unhypocritical. What is it to be hypocritical? Well, in the ancient world, the idea of a hypocrite was uh, based on the idea of an actor. What does an actor do? You've seen these Greek uh, play faces, you know, happy faces, angry faces that they put on, okay? And looking at the face and then listening to the way the actor is acting through the mask, through the face, it's not telling you what the actual person, the actor is like, it's telling you what the person that they are portraying is like, yes? So that the idea came down that we can deceive people into thinking that we have, you know, one view of them, one opinion of them, whereas we really have another. Or that we're a certain kind of an individual when we're really a different kind of an individual. It's just like holding the mask up, you see. We're deceiving people. When you're doing it as an actor, there's not a problem. Everybody understands what's going on. When you don't have the mask, but you're actually still portraying an act to people, that is a problem. It's not sincere. God hates insincerity. He hates false words. He hates hypocrisy. You can't read the Gospels without realizing very quickly, that Jesus despises hypocrites. Have any of us played the hypocrite? I'll put my hand up. I've played the hypocrite. I'm afraid too many times. What's the way out of it? What's the way to stop? It has to do with sincerity. And you'll have that sincerity if you are, uh, allow the word of God to transform you from what you, you know, the dirtbag that you are without the word and without the spirit into a genuine loving Christian, which you are through the spirit and through the word. And so the word has transforming power. Verse 23 continues the thought. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. We have been born again. We have, in other words, not just been born physically, in this world and its corruption. But we have, through the operation of God, using the word of God, been born again so that we are now part of the family of God, so that our home, our citizenship, is now in heaven. 
so that we belong with God. And that connection is not just a fiat of God which, uh, in which he proclaims, okay, I accept you. But it's a true relationship. It is a spiritual connection at the deepest level. So that God, who has adopted you now into his family, has renewed you and connected you to Christ. Through belief in the word and its transforming power. This word is incorruptible. It's permanent. It's forever, just like the blood of Christ. Now, does that mean that uh, when we get to heaven in maybe a million years' time, a trillion years' time, that people will still be reading the Bible? There'll be more of the Word of God. How do I know that? Because we'll be living with God. We'll be communing with God. Do you see? The word of God, the Bible that we have, is the only word of God that we have now. And that's why its value and its authority must be maintained by the church. But in glory, we're constantly in communion with God. We're constantly hearing his words. We're constantly obeying his words because we want to. Nevertheless, what we have here is incorruptible. It is permanent. It's not going to be changed. What it says is true. Even when it's reporting lies and misdeeds of people, its reports are true. And so the first thing is that we've got to realize is that this Bible, this book that we have, has transforming power. The second thing is, of course, as I've already uh, touched upon, is its durability. It is incorruptible. It is forever. It abides forever. And Peter quotes from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40, this passage, to give us a contrast between the word of God and between everything else. All flesh is as grass. All the glory of man as the flower of the grass. You know, maybe here he's speaking about weeds that come up among the grass or daisies or things like that. The grass withers and its flower falls away. Within a year. I know we, we've had an on and off kind of a year where it's been raining and then it's been sunshine and it's been raining again and it's been sunshine and our weeds have been loving it and our grass has been loving it. But sooner or later, that the sun comes out, the rain goes away and 
the grass withers and dies. That is a picture of this present world and its lack of duration, its instability, its impermanence. The glory of man is as a flower that fades. Well, we know that, don't we? The grass withers, the flower falls away, but by contrast, the word of the Lord endures forever. Well, if the word of the Lord endures forever and you haven't paid attention to it, what does that make you? If the world has the word of God and pays no attention to it, and yet this is the only enduring thing that's in the world. What does that say of the world? And if you have paid attention to it, if you have turned to it, if you have obeyed it, if the Spirit of God has regenerated you through your, uh, your respect of this word, Well, that makes you wise, doesn't it? That's the wisest, the smartest thing anyone can do, surely. Is to trust this word. Is to pay attention to it. Is to read it. And as it's permanent, well, obviously it's a good idea to go back to it. I like reading other books. I read lots of other books. Well, actually, half the books I read I don't like reading. I don't agree with them. But I learn from them. But this book, this should be the constant companion throughout our lives. You say, well, I've read that. I know that. You know, I talk to some people and uh, I say, well, you know, read the Sermon on the Mount. I read the Sermon on the Mount. Well, read it again. Pay attention this time. Let its words transform you. Because what you think you know about it, if you read it again with attention, has that power to grasp your mind, to grasp your attention, and to re, uh, redirect you. Are you anxious? Well, the Sermon on the Mount is a great place to go because the Sermon on the Mount tells you stop being anxious and trust God. Don't worry about things you have no power over. Let God worry about it. He has power over it. And he's on your side. And he'll take care of it for you. Trust him. Glorify him. How do you trust him? How do you glorify him? Read the word and believe it. We in a Western church have, have diminished the authority of the word of God. We've stopped listening to it. We've not been transformed by the word of God. We've transformed it into any number of ridiculous paraphrases and awful translations. There are some good translations too, but there's an awful lot of rubbish translations out there. We 
have changed it instead of letting it be the authoritative words of God which tells us off and, and we allow it to tell us off so that it can redirect us and so that it can give us wisdom and it can give us true hope, we've turned it into a flowery pink tea devotional. Well, flowery pink tea devotional doesn't have power to change you. It might warm the cockles of your heart for a little while. But we're so easily distracted. Unless the word of God has power over our minds, it doesn't have power. Not that you're letting in. But whether we obey it or not, whether we realize it or not, the word of God is incorruptible, imperishable. Name something else that's imperishable that you can put your hands on. And I'm not talking about the, obviously, the. you can destroy this thing, but you can't destroy what it says. What else is there? You see mountains that have been there for aeons. You see rivers that have been there, oceans that have been there. You know what? All of these things are perishable, believe it or not. The very foundations of our world are perishable. One day, God's going to burn it all up. Where then do we look for something that is eternal, something that is permanent, something that we ought to cleave to and rely on? Because it has that quality. It's right here. It's in your lap or it's on your phone. Or it's on the bookcase getting dusty. But it's there. And so the word has transforming power. The word is eternal. It's durable. Peter closes off in verse 25 by saying, Now this is the word by which, which by the gospel was preached to you. Now, what I think he means here is not that only the gospel, only the gospel message is the word of God. Obviously, he doesn't mean that. The gospel has a context, and that context is all of the witness of God that is scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished in the way that God wants him to be. So all of the Bible has that quality, not just the gospel message and not just the four gospels. And it's all equally authoritative. So that means that what Peter is saying by talking about this is the word by which, uh, which by the gospel was preached to you, he doesn't just mean the gospel message. But what he does mean, I think, is that it is through the gospel, through the word of God, which we believed and which through it, through belief, 
the Holy Spirit regenerated us, made us sons and daughters of God, connected us to Christ and took us out of Adam. It is through that that the word of God has entrance. Do you see? And that's the case even today when you are a Christian and you've, you've been transformed, you've been born again. The word of God still has entrance to you through the gospel. Because that's where the, the great and powerful connection is. It's through our relationship to the blood of Jesus Christ, our relationship to the resurrection of Christ, our relationship to the Father sending him, our relationship to the Spirit who empowers the word to us. It is all through that conduit, the gospel. Which is that if you are not a child of God, you are in trouble. Well, you might not feel in trouble. You might not feel in peril. But the Bible declares that the wrath of God is hanging over you. He that believes my word has everlasting life. He that believes not the word shall not see life, but the wrath of God hovers, hangs over you. You might not feel it. You might not sense it. There are so many diversions to get your mind off it. But this permanent word says that about you. Why? Because you're a sinner. Why? Because your thoughts, your intents, your actions, your lack of action, all of these things are contrary to the character of God and contrary to what he wants of you in this world. All of them are acts of rebellion, thoughts of rebellion, Even your good deeds, they're not good deeds in God's sight because they're not done for him. They're done for some other reason, some other God. Might be yourself, might be, you know, what other people think of you. doesn't matter. They're not done for God. And so God counts them as idolatrous and he counts them as wicked. That's the reality. You're a sinner. You're condemned. You will face God's judgment and that judgment will not be in your favor. So the gospel comes in and the gospel says to you, but there is a way of salvation. There is a way out of this. There is a way of forgiveness. And it is that this word tells us that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world and took on human form so that he could die in place of sinful humans. And God would accept faith in him as sufficient to clear you of all guilt. Not only would God forgive you if you trusted in Jesus, knowing that he died in your place, But God would connect you to the resurrection of Jesus 
so that spiritually you're not what you were. You're now something else. You're now a son or a daughter of God connected to a future glorification. And that glorification is as certain as if it had already happened to you. That's the gospel. Have you trusted it? Do you believe it? If you don't believe that gospel, if you don't believe that message, I can tell you something about you that's the most important thing to say about any human being, and that is this. You don't believe the word of God, which means you don't believe God, which means God is against you. It's time to pay attention to this word. That's why he gave it to us. This word that endures, this word that will be used to to, uh, judge us by, witness for us or against us, this word that is present. I've said the presence of the word is the third uh, heading here of the sermon. This word is present. You can ignore it, you can kick it out, or if you're a Christian, you cannot pay attention to it, and kind of your brain goes into a rot and your spirit goes into a rot because you've not been paying attention to it. Or you can be wise and you can come to it and let it transform you. First, through belief in Jesus Christ as your sin substitute and then continually coming back to it to correct you, to rebuke you, to comfort you, to give you hope, to tell you the way to go, to give you wisdom. It's always there. It's always present to do that. But what are we doing to pay attention to it? What are we doing to let it transform us? Because it's only present to us if we'll pick it up and read it and obey it. God is watching me preach this to you. God is watching you to see how you respond to what you've been just been told. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we admit and we acknowledge that your word is an enduring word. This Bible is the most precious thing that we have. And sometimes we do not pay attention to it. And sometimes we don't heed it. That is certainly true of my in my life. And Lord, I ask your forgiveness for that. But Father, we, we know that when we pay attention to your word, it has this amazing power to transform our lives. Even as believers now, it has the ability to quiet our troubled minds, to focus us, to prioritize what's important from what's not important to cast us upon you and to depend upon you instead of depending on ourselves or on other things and to give us 
an eternal perspective on our present lives. We pray, dear Holy Spirit, that you would use your word as we read it to transform us constantly and redirect us into the people that you want us to be. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.